Well, hello and welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined by another pastor here, John Bruce. He's my dad, but I guess I'm his boss. It's a unique relationship. Dad, how are you today? I feel very low, under the under authority, under your thumb here. The iron fist. <laughs> the iron fist of my boss. That's right. Well, it's good to be with you again, Dad, and excited to begin a brand new series today. And we're starting a series on biblical community, on our life together as followers of Jesus. According to the New Testament, the church is not a what. It's not a business entity that provides religious goods and services for public consumption. The church is not an event we attend, nor is it a building we visit. No, the church is not a what at all. It's a who. The church is the people of God, called by the Spirit of God, to gather around the Son of God, to display the love of God, carry out the mission of God, to the glory of God. Which means we're called to a shared life, life together. And the implication there is that a solitary, isolated Christian really is an oxymoron. To push this further, it's our life together that displays Christ's redemptive power to the world. When we live in peaceful, sacrificial, loving relationships with each other, when we live in harmony, it demonstrates Christ's power to create harmony through the cross. Conversely, when we live in cold, dysfunctional, backbiting relationships with each other, it dishonors Jesus and gives the world a, a false picture of who he is and what he has done. So we're saved, Dad, for this life together, and it's critical we get these relationships right. So how do we get them right? What are the habits of healthy community? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few episodes. Now, Dad, we've discussed various books and used them as springboards for discussion, but for this series, you made a good suggestion. Let's just look at the book. <laughs> the Bible, because that is God's first and last word on how we are to live in harmony with each other. You suggested Romans 12, and I thought that was a great idea, because the Apostle Paul gives us this very helpful template for healthy community and the practices that we need to cultivate to have healthy relationships with one another. So we're going to look at the habits of healthy community, and ultimately to be the kind of community that God desires, and I think that we desire intuitively as well. Right. So we're looking at habit one today, and this is the foundational habit, which is before you will build healthy community, you have to see your need for community, that, that really you actually need other Christians to flourish in your own relationship with Christ. Right. So I'm going to start by reading the Bible. Romans 12, 1 through 7, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, and uh, again, talking about seeing our need for one another. Paul starts this way, Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So in this initial description of the body, Dad, what, what stands out to you? What is this saying about our need for each other? I just think it's, it's really interesting that, first of all, Paul says you can't give God your body unless you give him your mind. Um, mm. that, that we need to be uh, tr- uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind. And, and one of the things I've been thinking about lately is just that, that all sin is rooted in a lie that we have all these lies we've grown up believing, and that's why sin still has power over us, and that's why the truth shall set you free. And so Paul is basically saying, now give God your body, as which is your reasonable service of worship, and be renewed in your mind. Don't think the way the world thinks any longer, but learn to think the way God thinks. And the very first area he applies that to is how we view ourselves in relationship to other members of the body. And I, I guess so no longer view yourself as an isolated individual, but view yourself as a member of a larger group. Yeah, that connection between being renewed in your mind and then immediately, verse 3, for by the grace of God given to me, I say everyone not to think of himself more highly. And so it's as if Paul is saying, if you want example one of what renewed thinking looks like, of a transformed mind, that is um, renewed by the gospel, it will manifest first in the way you view other believers. Right, right. So that's why we have to start off the first habit of community is to see your need for community, to see your need for other Christians. Why, why do you think that's a hard habit for Americans particularly to, <laughs> to get? Because we are raised from birth to view ourselves as individuals, to view our identity in an individualistic way, to see the purpose of life is finding out who I am and what I want, and that the source of happiness in life will come from self-actualization. Yeah. Uh, we have a worldview that is defined by the self, and in a sense is reducible to the self. Yeah. And it's important for us to understand how culturally contingent that way of viewing the world is. Yeah. It's a pretty new way of viewing the world. Most cultures in human history have been collectivistic. They've, they've seen identity not as a me thing, but as a we thing. Here's the group I belong to. Here's right. my loyalty to the group, and I find meaning and purpose in life in relationship to the group. Right. Now, there are, of course, problems with collectivism. It's not that collectivism is good and individualism is bad, per se. It's that you have both individual truths in the Bible and collective truths, and I think that individualism has profoundly affected the way that we view the Christian faith in the West. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that it, it's almost an unseen lens we look every, at everything through, through the lens of an individual rather than through the lens of, of as a member of a, of a larger group, of the body of Christ. And that shapes the way I read the Bible. It shapes the way I, I live my life. Um, I see... Uh, my relationship with other Christians as, a, at best, a luxury, 
um, are, right. are just one other contending, uh, competing priority uh, rather than something that is absolutely essential to, to be healthy spiritually. Yeah, it, it's not that Christian community is this nexus of relationships out of which I live life, so that here are the people I make decisions with as we navigate life together. It's that church becomes one thing among many that I juggle as an individual heroically in my life trying to navigate all of these different responsibilities. Right, right. I think, too, the way we have preached the gospel, particularly in the West, for the last 50 years has had unintended consequences in this, that we really made a focus on the personal nature of the relationship with Jesus, that, that inviting Jesus into your life means you get a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, that's all true. It's just not the totality of what the gospel is. Uh, the gospel is about Jesus redeeming a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and you are saved when you become part of the people for which Jesus died. That is the big storyline of the Bible. I only have a new relationship with Jesus because I am now in the people of God, Yeah. right? The problem with emphasizing the personal, the personal, the personal so much is that you come away with this impression that, well, what's most important is how I am doing personally with Jesus and what other Christians bring to the table is is really secondary and 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 i've heard people say this all the time it's well if christ if if church strengthens my relationship with jesus then church is a good thing as if the reason other christians exist at all is to help me yeah in yeah. my me and jesus relationship and, and what got me thinking about this actually i was listening to Christ, a christian radio station uh, a few days ago, and they did a survey, and they asked people, does going to church frequently strengthen your relationship with God? Which is an interesting question, because the presumption is the main reason you go is for you, yeah, <laughs> right? Not for the yeah. glory of God or the good of other people or yeah, uh, an yeah. obedience to Christ, but to strengthen your personal relationship with God. And it was pretty much split down the middle. That Yes, frequent church attendance does strengthen my relationship with God. Said, no, my relationship with God is strong, independent of my going to church, which is a mind-blowing thing to say from the perspective of the New Testament. Now, yeah. What was so interesting is the hosts, the, the, the male host, his first reaction was to this survey was to say, well, I really don't want to judge here. Right? This is ostensibly Christians talking about the people of God. I don't want to judge um, the people who say that it doesn't strengthen their relationship. Be and then he said, because after all, it's your personal relationship with Jesus. And I thought, that is a profound profoundly American thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Th that only I can gauge the strength of my relationship with Jesus, and I know what strengthens it and what doesn't. And if you asked a first century Christian, or if you had a first century Christian listen to that, I think their jaw would hit the floor. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> the idea of an unchurched Christian, it, it would have been inconceivable to them. Yeah that they had some identity or existence apart from the people of God. Yeah. Or that they could easily separate the relationship with God from the relationship with God's people. That's right. That's right. No, it's, it's unintended consequences because that personal relationship with God came out of a culture which was largely Christian, and lots of people believed they were Christians because their parents were Christians, right. because they grew up in the church, even though they had never made their own commitment to the faith and stuff like that. But the the meaning of personal has changed mm. over the years, and now it's individual. Um, now, 
your isolated relationship yeah, with Jesus. Exactly. As opposed to you making a decision of the will to follow Jesus. Yeah. Now it's this uh, it's this me and Jesus gospel and yeah. me and Jesus relationship. I remember one of my professors saying that it's a, a gospel you can happily carry from church to church and marriage to marriage, leaving a wake of relational destruction in your wake, so long as your me and Jesus relationship is intact. Yeah, and unfortunately we've seen that many times. People who feel like they've got a great relationship with Jesus, even though they have lousy relationships with people. Yeah. And, uh, and yet the Bible says, you know, by this we know we've come to know him uh, if we love one another. Love one another. And, uh, and you can't, you, you really can't have love God without loving people. Right. And, and I think it's important for listeners to understand just how deeply interconnected our relationship with God and our relationship with his people are, according to the New Testament. That even the, the statements we make about our identity in Christ, they're just as much corporate statements as they are individual statements. Yeah. Right. So I'm a child of God. Well, what is that? That's a family metaphor, right? God is my father. And that's absolutely true. But if God is your father, that means other believers are your brothers and sisters. Right. Right. And so I have an intimate relationship with my father. It doesn't really matter if I have an intimate relationship with my brothers and sisters. Or we say, well, my, my real father's in heaven, right? We say that. But brothers and sisters, that's a metaphor yeah, for, exactly. <laughs> for, for, for the family of God. Whereas the New Testament would say, no, yes, they would say, no, your real father is in heaven. That's true. And yeah. your real brothers and sisters right. eternally are these people. Are we, are we say, I have this intimate relationship with Jesus. Well, who is he? He's the head. And you're connected to him as part of the body. Well, if you're part of the body, then you're also connected to other body parts, exactly. other members of Christ. Exactly. So, so when the Bible talks about intimate relationship with Jesus and union with Christ, it's in the assumption, uh, it's under the assumption that we together are connected. Yeah. Or I yeah. experience the presence of God. Well, why? Because you're part of the temple of, of God. Well, what is the temple of God? The church. Yeah. So, so again, you you you. Even these statements we make about a relationship with God or identity, we tend to view them as individualistic terms. The Bible presents them primarily in, in corporate terms. Yeah, yeah. And I think from just an experiential point of view, we can see this. I, I remember when you were in college, and it, it just seemed like your faith kind of took off. Um, and it wasn't because you were at Bible college or because you were having a lot of Bible classes that I think that contributed to, but because you were now in a much more intimate community of like-minded believers. And I remember you and all your buddies, you're all Bible majors and, and stuff like that. Same thing happened to me when I was at Cal and we had a, you know, we called it the gang, but it was mm -hmm. just a, it's just a, a, a big group of Christian students and staff. We hung out all the time. We were, we did everything together. Um, and it just encouraged our faith. And I, and I would encourage our listeners to think about the times that you've spent the most time with Christians and versus the time you spent the least time with Christians, and what's how's that practically affected your relationship with God? And I think you'll you'll agree that I felt much closer to God when I was in a disciplined, regular relationship with other believers than when I was out on my own. Right. Yeah. If you, if you want intimacy with the Father, you should want intimacy with His family. Yeah. Exactly. If you want connection to Jesus, you're going to get it through His body. Yeah. You want to experience the Spirit's presence, it will be within his temple, yeah. which is the church. Yeah. And, and so it really is an inseparable thing. Now, now we can cultivate our relationship with Jesus. That's absolutely true. It's just that we could never view that as opposed to or in distinction to this other group that God has made us yeah. a part of. 
So, so in relationship to um, Romans 12 here, what, what is Paul saying here about a renewed thinking sees our need for the body? Anything else to say about that? Just Well, I think in terms of, of developing this habit right. of, of seeing yourself this way and of seeing your need, you've, you, first thing, you've got to believe the Bible. I mean, the Bible says you need Christians, whether, whether you think you do or not. Yeah. Uh, Paul said and he explained the body in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, no, you cannot say to any member of the body, I have no need of you. And you cannot say, um, I'm not part of the body, either, right. either one, that we're all part of the body and we need everybody. And so the lie that, that sin perpetuates on us is that we are an, an isolated individual who need no one, kind of the heroic um, individual out there on our own. And that's just a lie, according to the Bible, that you've got to believe if you're going to be renewed and transformed by the renewing of your mind, you got to start by believing the Bible. And the Bible yeah. says you're a member, you need each other. Right. We belong to each other. We're members of one another. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the life of Christ, the head, it flows to me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's going to flow through the body <laughs> yeah. to get to me. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that lie because we're talking about being renewed in your mind, yeah. right? And the transformed mind is seeing here a sober judgment of ourselves and realizing that you're not all that. Yeah. <laughs> your your faith isn't as strong as you think you are. You actually need the measure of faith in these other people and their gifts to grow. I think yeah. that's the, the, the idea here. But I was thinking about that lie, right? Renewing our mind. And the lie is, I don't need other Christians. Yeah. I just need Jesus. Yeah. That's the lie that we're identifying here. Right. I think the way that the enemy twists our natural desires is this. The actual thing we're feeling is, I don't want Christian community. For whatever reason, it's too taxing, it's too hard, it's too inconvenient. There might be weird people there. <laughs> There's all sorts of reasons why. It, or I've been hurt, I've been mistreated in other Christian relationships. There's all sorts of reasons, some more or less valid, right, as to why we don't want this. That gets translated in our head to, I don't need this. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. So, so the enemy takes the desire, the lack of desire, and turns it into a lack of need. Right. And I think a way to counter that, the truth is, just because you don't want something doesn't mean you don't need something. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's, that's the truth you need. I was thinking about it this week, right? I, all the things that I don't want to do that I need to do, I have a car registration issue I need to deal with, yeah, right? I, yeah. I need to set up my physical for my doctor's appointment. I need to replace my washing machine. I need to do all of these things. And they're not particularly pleasant to do, but oh, I'm going to be so glad when they're done because they're absolutely necessary for our family to function well. Right. And so you, you have to apply that truth then to Christian community. that The desire might not be there at the beginning, but the Lord Jesus says you need this for your yeah. spiritual health. And, and I think that's great. I think it's, it's like most needs. Most needs are not felt emotionally at first until it's too late. Yeah. And then it's it's like if you ignore the the red light on your dashboard long enough your car will stop running and then you will existentially experience the, the need, need for having done what you should have done. So you can either take it on faith, I need to change my oil and mm -hmm. and avoid having getting caught on the side of the road, or I can wait until the car breaks down and then I will existentially feel the need it's too late. And I think that's true of most of the things in the Bible that you, if you accept it by faith, that God says, here's the way you're set up, 
here's, here's what to pursue, here's what to avoid. Regardless of if I feel like I'm avoiding or pursuing those things today, if I will do those things, I am blessed. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know how much you need it Yeah. with so many of these things yeah. until it's too late. Yeah. And, and using your car analogy, right? Just like, you know, waiting to change the oil until your engine's at catastrophic failure, you're going to think, why in the world did I not just do the, the normal maintenance? Yeah. The same thing is true, I think, in relationships where you don't know how much you need them until you desperately need them and don't have them. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and, and you, you hit some crisis point in your life and you realize, I am alone. Yeah. I am totally alone. And, and that, that can literally kill you yeah. at that point. I mean, just, just from a, a purely medical perspective, not even the spiritual, to, to, to be isolated from other people and to be lonely, um, that's one of the chief killers. That's one of the chief causes of premature death is a lack of vibrant relationships. Exactly. Well, one of the things we've, we've noticed here at Creekside is that people who are not regularly involved in a community group yeah. are one crisis away from leaving the church because something's always going to happen. They're going to lose their job or they're going to lose a loved one or, or something's going to happen, and all of a sudden there is, they find themselves without support and they invariably will drift away uh, in those times, while people who are vitally connected in a group of people who are going to come around them and love them and pray for them, that crisis actually results in blessing because it draws them that much closer to each other yeah. as they see how much people love them and how much people care about them and how much they need those people. Um, so true. Yeah. So it's going to require some, some counterintuitive thinking because what it means is that God's priorities for your life are not going to be your intuitive priorities for yeah. your life. Yeah. That, that there are, I have to prioritize just a few <laughs> really key relationships with believers and cultivate these even when it's hard, not because it's easy, not because I feel this so full when I do, but because Jesus says there are gifts in my body, there are ministries that I have appointed to these people and you need them for your faith to be strong. Right. And they need you. Right, which they, is what we're going to get to next week. They right? need what, what you bring as well. Yeah, I think that's true. So I, I think all obedience begins with saying no to yourself. Because mm -hmm. Jesus says, if, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so that I can go for immediate gratification. I'd rather stay home and watch TV. I'd rather relax. I'd rather whatever it is, then make the effort to go out and spend time with believers. Right. Or I can deny myself and say, Jesus wants me to spend time with believers, so I'm going to do that. And then we experience the long-term reward uh, of, of that. Um, so. Right. And, and, and then we don't have the regret of looking back and saying, you know, how much further could I have gone in life? How much more could I have grown? if I had developed these relationships. Yeah. Uh, Proverbs 13, he who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm, that you will become like the people around you. Absolutely. And those people Christ has gifted, that is a blessing to you that is immeasurable. You have no idea what Christ can do in your life through those people. And I was, um, I, I remember a study I was reading about um, kind of seasons in a man's life and what they, it was particularly a longitudinal study of men, and what on average, men think they need at various times versus what they really need. Yeah. And yeah. one of the most interesting findings was this, that 
particularly in your, your 30s and into your early 40s, you think you need to go conquer the world in your career and that you should invest all your time in your career so that later in life you can reap the fruits of your labor and have rich relationships with people. And what they found is it's exactly the opposite, <laughs> that you should spend your 30s and 40s building the best friendships of your life and working hard to cultivate them because it will be, A, very hard to cultivate them later. Yeah. It's yeah. much harder in your 50s and 60s for a variety of sociological reasons to, to cultivate those. But then, B, the irony is you actually don't reach mastery <laughs> in the skills of your career until your 50s, 60s, 70s. And so those can actually be some of the most effective working years of your life, but they're not necessarily the easiest to build friendship. So it's just so interesting there, I think, an instance of where the, the wisdom of the world and, and God's wisdom um, go against each other. Yeah, no, that's really good. Now, it reminds me of somebody said that, that we are the result of the people we know and the books we read. Right. And, and, and when you think about that, if you don't know many people and you don't read, uh, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're not changing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I have, God has used so many people uh, in my life to profoundly change me. But I w that would never have happened if I hadn't made room in my schedule to spend time with them on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, for me, part of the take-home for today's habit. What the habit really is is building relationships into your weekly weekly schedule. Yeah. That you have a regular rhythm of spending time with Christians, whether it be in a small group and just getting coffee with somebody at the same time. Um, but but it is it is something you do as regularly as have time with the Lord in prayer and in the word. It's a it is a regular habit of fellowship. Yeah. And and just like you have to make time to read the Bible, you're not going to find time. You have to make time for Christian community. Yeah. You know, it, when you think about your, your community group and, and, and being a part of one, just treat that like your, your weekly quiet time with God's people. That, that, yeah. that, that, that this is just as inviolate, that I, I, I've got to be with these people. Yeah. And, 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 and then don't make it, you know, <laughs> the thing you go to if everything else falls into place, yeah. but the thing that you push everything else out yeah. to, to prioritize. Um, because unless everyone agrees to do that, then you never get the value of, of real thick relationships. Yeah. And, and, and um, Christ will not minister in the same way because you're not the gathered people of God there, um, family coming together to yeah. where, where Christ uh, ministers his gifts. So, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's good. Any other thoughts on just practically seeing our need for community reminders? Well, I'd like to—I want to speak to men in particular because a lot of married guys depend on their wives— to form relationships for them. Um, in other words, my, my, yeah. my, my, my wife is the one who sets up dinners or gets other couples to come over and stuff like that. And then I see these guys lose their wives. Their, their wives die. And all of a sudden, they are lonely. They have no friends uh, because they never, they, because they depended on their wife for their social life rather than developing their own friendships and stuff like that. So whatever the age, if you're married, um, and, and a guy, don't rely on your wife. Begin to pursue strong spiritual friendships yourself. Um, it, it, it pays its weight in gold. Yeah. That is so true. And um, 
it's also an immense blessing to your wife. Yeah. If you do that. She doesn't have to carry the load. Yeah. I, so there is this idea, right, that, that men are less, you know, quote unquote, emotional or something. And they often manifest emotions in different ways. But, you know, as Proverbs says, the, a man's heart is like deep waters, that, that, that men process all sorts of things. Um, and and in, what happens is if you don't get that band of brothers around you to bear your burdens and process things with, well, what happens? Your wife becomes the sole emotional, uh, she almost becomes an emotional punching bag in a way where all of your anxiety, all of your worry, all of your frustration just gets dumped on her. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And that's not fair to her. No. Um, you need guys to speak into issues of your life to bear those so you can engage your wife from a place of fullness and a place of energy yeah. and a place of being sharpened by other guys so now you can minister to her, you can care about her needs Instead of, you know, I think a lot of times for guys, and again, I'm just stereotyping here, but, but they, they have all of these things consumed with work, and then they just dump their work stress on their wives and expect them to be sort of their emotional, um, <laughs> you know, support blanket exactly. for all of these things. Yeah. And you need guys to carry that load with you who can speak into that, who can speak hard truths, who can listen to you, who can ask questions. So your wife doesn't have to be the only one because I've seen wives just driven up the wall yeah. by guys who will not reach out to other guys to have those kind of relationships. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's really great. That, that proverb you quoted, mm-hmm. it, you quoted the first half. Uh, is it the words of a man are like deep waters? Um, the thoughts of a I man. think it's the thoughts, the of, thoughts a of a man are like deep waters. waters but, but a man of understanding draws them out. And we need other men to process our deep thoughts with us, to help us to see things from a perspective that we don't see. Um, it's the iron sharpening iron. One mm-hmm. man sharpens another. It's that, that uh, so I, I agree with what you're saying 100%. Right. Well, Proverbs also says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So <laughs> the way we're doing things, there's a reason we're doing it. We think it's the right way to do things. Yeah. We like the way we're doing things. And, and we need both the outside perspective of God's word and the outside perspective of God's people to go, you know, there might be a better way of doing this thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, one of my notes I see over and over again in, my, in the book of Proverbs is distrust yourself. Mm-hmm. Distrust yourself. Because it naturally all, um, all my ways are right in my own eyes. I think I'm wise. I think I see reality. And then so often I don't. Yeah, it's good. Any other thoughts? I think that's uh, about it. I think it's the, the other thing I, I was saying is Proverbs 18.1, he who separates himself seeks his own desire and quarrels with all sound wisdom. Yeah. That when one of the danger signals is when you want to be alone. Yeah. Is it, is it because you want your own way? Is it because you, 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 you don't want to hear contrary, something contrary? Because that's a, that's a red light on the dashboard. That's saying you're, you're getting off course here. Because if I cannot, if I don't want to know God's will enough and know wisdom enough that I can expose my thinking and my decisions to other people, but I'm kind of pulling back and I'm isolating myself, that is, that I'm probably off the off the track right where I am. Yeah, I, yeah, in, kind of interrogating yourself to see why I want to be alone is a great one. Yeah, um, and the one and and you bringing it up, and this gets back to, you know, seeing our need for other people, we need divergent perspectives <laughs> to hem us in. And yeah. I've seen that, boy, Kishel and I have seen that, that 
people will begin to ghost. People will begin to push away when they know we disagree with something in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and they often just form these echo chambers around themselves to, to, to do what they wanted to do anyway. Yeah. And because uh, yeah. they need that positive feedback loop. And yeah, you, you, as the proverb says, you, you quarrel against all sound wisdom. You break out against all sound judgment. Yeah. When you do that, you don't see the grace of other people. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, and, and I think it could be, you know, you can seek isolation just because you don't want to be inconvenienced by people, just yeah. because it's too stressful to be around other people, all of those things. And, and, and one final thing, I mean, we could talk about this forever, but 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 other thing I'd say about that is, you know, it, it's a spiritual discipline. It's called a discipline for a reason. You have to deny yourself. Yeah. And just as, you know, there are people at Creekside who really struggle with just reading and, um, you know, just reading comprehension issues. And yet they work so hard to read the Bible. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so proud of them. And we would not say to them, well, you know, because you have a struggle here, you're off the hook. Yeah, you <laughs> you know. don't need to understand God's Word. Yeah. In the same way, if you say, well, I'm antisocial or I just have you know, I, I have issues with people or I don't, I don't really need people. Like that doesn't let you off the hook to yeah. develop those relationships. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what I would plead with people to see is it's, it's just as necessary to cultivate those relationships with God's people as it is to cultivate a relationship with God's word and, yeah. and, uh, and digging in there. So yeah, it's, it's, if you're an introvert, if you'd rather spend time by yourself than be with people, mm -hmm. if you're so task-oriented that relationships are just, you don't even, don't even register. A barrier to I, the mission, I, right? I don't, yeah, I don't even, all those things. That's just an indication you're a little unbalanced. Yeah. And, uh, and, you need, and we're all unbalanced because we're all fallen. I, exactly. We're going to naturally gravitate toward different parts of biblical obedience yeah. more than others. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... You don't just kind of go stay in your lane yeah. and go with what feels natural. You gotta you gotta discipline yourself for godliness. You gotta go after the things that will balance you out. That's good. And, and relationships are vital for that. Very good. Well, this has helped me. I'm convicted. <laughs> gotta go develop some more relationships or deepen some. Um, yeah, I hope this was helpful for you as listeners. We'll we'll keep plodding through Romans 12 here and just seeing what what Paul has to say in the weeks to come, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. All right, Thanks, thanks. We will talk to you again soon.